0: Get the care that's right for you and your family. There are many other options to manage and maintain your health. Find out what's available in your area. Call HealthLink at 811 to find out more about your health care options or visit albertahealthservices.ca backslash options. This is David Veach, and you're listening to Passion for Health. This is your opportunity to hear from Alberta Health Services physicians and other health care providers, researchers, policymakers, community partners, and patients, to hear their stories and insights about what's happening to improve Albertans' confidence and satisfaction in their health care system. My guest today is Cheryl Hutekamer, a program supervisor with Youth Addiction Services with Alberta Health Services. She has been working with children, youth, families, and communities for 28 years. Since 1989, she has fulfilled a variety of treatment and prevention roles, including outpatient counselor, day program supervisor, and tobacco reduction counselor. In time for National Addictions Awareness Week, I spoke to Cheryl about what parents can do to prevent alcohol and other drug use in their teenagers and what steps they can take if they suspect their teens are abusing alcohol and drugs.
1: I believe that the majority of teens are still using primarily alcohol and marijuana. When we start moving into other substances, I think the numbers reduce significantly. But certainly one of the things we know is Canada is one of the top prescription drug consuming countries in the world. I think second only to or equal to the United States. And so something we're seeing now that maybe we didn't see back then is the abuse of prescription drugs. Such as? Oh, things like Ritalin. Um, we hear a lot about fentanyl these days, these sorts of things. Young people sometimes feel they're a safer alternative because they're pharmaceutical, when in fact any drug that's not used as intended can certainly be damaging.
0: When should parents have their first discussions about alcohol and other drugs with their children?
1: That's an excellent question. I think that honestly, as, o- as soon as your child's old enough to start asking questions, you should try to answer their questions as honestly as you can in a way they'll understand. So with my own children, what I found is they were quite young when they started asking questions about cigarettes. How young? Uh, Four, five. Um, We don't smoke in our house, but we would go out in public and they would see people smoking. They'd say, what's that person doing, mummy? And so we would start having conversations about, well, that person's smoking tobacco. Some people choose to smoke tobacco, but they can get addicted to it. That means they want it all the time. Uh, Tobacco's not very good for your lungs. It's very expensive. Um, So we would have those conversations using words they would understand at age four and five.
0: Factual and a little bit of editorializing as well.
1: Well, you want to be honest with them because kids are very bright. And if you start out telling them exaggerating or using scare tactics, within a very short period of time, they become old enough to find things out on their own. They start comparing what they're hearing with what you've said. And if you're misleading them, you can lose trust. So you want to really be factual. You don't want to judge the person. You want to talk about the behavior, but you want to have these Uh, conversations. If they're asking you questions, it shows they're ready to start having these conversations. But you want to have these conversations regularly on an ongoing basis from childhood all the way up. Uh, Research shows parents can have an influence on their adolescent or young adult's behavior around alcohol all the way into college and university. So really, it isn't a one-time thing. It's not something you can say, oh, we've had the talk, I can check it off now.
0: Do you wait for the child to broach the subject, or are there ways to introduce the subject that doesn't seem like a non-sequitur? You're talking about what you did at school today. Oh, by the way, let me talk to you about (laughs) the dangers of fentanyl.
1: Yes. No, I think there are ways, definitely, especially as a child gets older, and they become more cognizant of things like the news. Stories in the news are an excellent segue into discussion. And often it's maybe... um, a celebrity who's gone back to rehab or passed away from a drug overdose. Um, there's articles in the paper all the time about fentanyl, and I think it's a really good way to say, geez, what do you think about that? You know, what do your friends think about this celebrity? Is that cool? Are they kind of sad? Like what, what, you know, would your friends, you know, have you heard about other people that you know using these substances? And you can use it as sort of like an in to have these discussions.
0: Before you have that conversation with your child, isn't it incumbent upon the parents to know some of the facts about this.
1: I think it is very important for a parent to educate themselves. They don't need to have all the answers, but I think they need to go to a reputable source like a a Health Canada website, an Alberta Health Services website, a government-based website, and just do some reading about marijuana and alcohol, for sure, because we know those are the two substances that a young person's most likely to be exposed to, to have available to them when they're young. Certainly you should read about other substances too. A really good one to read about right now would be fentanyl because we're hearing a lot about it and it's so um, the potential for overdose is so high with that substance. So I think a parent can educate themselves because then they become a credible source for their young person. They're not speaking off of the top of their heads or they're not saying, I don't know, but parents shouldn't be also held back by the fact that they don't know, that they feel like they don't have the answers. Because one of the most powerful things you can do with your young person is say, that's an excellent question. Let's go find that information and sit down together and go to a reputable website and read it together. And what a wonderful way again to generate one of those discussions, one of those dialogues. It's to read it together and say, well, what do you think about that? Huh? I didn't know that. Did you know that? And have, you know, again, it's a lovely entry into uh, one of these ongoing discussions that needs to take place so that you're establishing that relationship with your young person.
0: How do do those conversations change as the child gets older?
1: Another excellent question. I think that obviously when your child's five or six or seven and asking about tobacco or even other substances, you're going to say much different things than you would at 14, 15 or 16 as their child ages, the proportion of young people using substances goes up. So it makes sense that as they get older, as their social life, their social circle, expands to to revolve more around their peers and less around family, they're naturally exposed to these things. So the conversations I had with my children when they were little versus when they were 14 and 15, you start to be a little bit more, um, Explaining what your expectations would be around behaviors related to substances and having conversations with them around what you would be okay with, what you definitely would not be okay with and what the consequences would be if these rules were broken and having that uh, conversation together and saying to your young person, what do you think would be a good consequence for me to give you if you came home and I found out you'd been drinking? And having them have some input into that consequence makes it more likely that they're going to adhere to the rules. Uh, Coming down and saying, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Those sorts of things don't tend to support that dialogue, that relationship. And sometimes the young person will then just do it and hide it from you not that they won't necessarily try and hide it anyway but i think those open dialogues that back and forth them having some input and some say is a much better way to gain positive results
0: the example that you're giving has some assumptions behind it that there is a mutual respect between uh, the child and the parent and maybe that the parent doesn't have an addiction problem himself or herself is it much more difficult to have those sorts of messages for children if children are seeing drug and alcohol, uh, alcohol and other drug use within their own home?
1: I think it is to a degree. Um, parents can also uh, set a good example. In terms of alcohol use, for example, they can talk with their child about how when mommy has a drink, she doesn't drive after. Or when people get together to socialize, they might have a few drinks, but we serve food. And at the end of the night, we put the coffee on and the people who've been drinking don't drive home. So there's sort of split, it's a split there because if if you're using alcohol in a socially appropriate manner and responsible manner, you're actually kind of setting a good example for your child. Um, But you raise a wonderful point, is that we put a lot of pressure on parents to be the ones to prevent substance abuse in their teens, but some parents may struggle. They may not have been parented in that way themselves. They may have factors in the home that make it extremely difficult for them to have time to spend with the child. Maybe they're working a couple of jobs. Maybe they have a whole bunch of children. Maybe they're dealing with their own issues around mental illness or addiction, and it may make it extremely difficult. They may feel very hypocritical having these conversations with their child. Again, I know around tobacco, the recommendation would be to say things like, "Oh, mommy's going to go outside and have a cigarette, but man, sometimes I sure wish I didn't smoke. And it's so expensive, and I, mommy doesn't like the way it makes her breath smell. And and I, sh- you know, someday I'm going to quit smoking. I'm, you know, and ideally, the best thing a parent could do would be to quit smoking and help have the child see them go through that struggle and watch them uh, progress and and make those positive, healthy choices." But some parents, I mean, quitting smoking is extremely difficult and they may struggle with it. So identifying that struggle and being honest about the, the, the cons of that lifestyle behavior is also very important.
0: What are some of the signs of teen drug use and abuse that parents should look for?
1: I think that's a tough one, too, because some of these symptoms would be individual to the unique circumstances of each young person. I think what we know is certain things put a young person more at risk of substance use. So for example, things like socioeconomic status, their relationship and success at school, whether they themselves struggle with Things like a learning disability, uh, whether they they can make friends and hold on to friends easily, um, you know, their own individual personalities. Uh, There there are a a vast array of risk factors, and and the the way the belief uh, generally is, is that the more risk factors a young person has, the greater the likelihood that they may make unhealthy choices. So if a parent is already aware that their child is struggling, that's something they should put, put on their radar. But certainly what a lot of parents tell us is they start being more secretive. They spend less and less time with the family. Sometimes things go missing around the house. That could be alcohol. That could be other substances. This
0: also sounds like being a teenager.
1: Well, that's the hard part. (laughs) Some of these things, like not wanting to hang out with your family as much anymore or wanting to spend more time with your friends, that's totally normal. Mood swings. Well, that's, again, totally normal. So sometimes it actually comes down to things like... Um, They were doing really well in school, and now they're not completing assignments, or they're not attending, or they're not doing as well as they once did. Certainly, if they're hanging out with peers who are substance-using peers, it's very unlikely that a child who doesn't use substances is going to hang out with a group of friends who do. And if they're not using substances yet, hanging out with that particular peer group could lead to substance use. It's likely like birds of a feather. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But also things like finding empty liquor bottles, finding rolling papers, finding cannabis in your house. Um,
0: Okay, let's talk about cannabis. You find cannabis in your house. Is cannabis a gateway drug?
1: Gateway is a tough concept to say yes or no to. Um, There are lots of people who smoke cannabis who don't do other drugs. Um, There are people who do other drugs who never smoke cannabis or did it once or twice but didn't particularly like it. But certainly there is there are some people who start, for example, maybe drinking alcohol and then they smoke some marijuana, some cannabis, and after a while they want a, a. a rush a high that they're not getting from these substances so they might maybe try another substance and that sort of thing so it's it's again it's it's different for each person there isn't a particular path that when you put your feet on it you're going to ultimately end up you know shooting heroin like it absolutely it doesn't work that way that right? sounds
0: like reefer madness
1: yeah exactly and we don't again that's not the message we want to give our children because it's not true and something we know is that one of the things i was just talking to someone from the canadian center on substance abuse about is that kids today are pretty savvy and absolutely. they actually do research on substances um that they're using or before they decide to use them so it's not the information itself is insufficient uh if information was enough nobody would smoke Uh, Certainly, nurses and doctors would never smoke or have addictions because they have that information. It isn't just the information. It's all these other skills that young people need to develop and supports that they need in place that will give them the strength and resiliency to make healthy decisions when these things are offered to them.
0: It's interesting how the conversation and the narrative has changed. Uh, During the Reagan administration, obviously, the three big words about drug use was just say no, thanks to Nancy Reagan. Talk about now decades down the road, and I'm talking to a colleague of mine, and we are talking about this subject, and uh, he has children entering their teenage years, and he says, I don't tell my kids that uh, drugs are bad. He says, I tell them, yes, they will probably make you feel potentially really good, but there is a downside to this.
1: I think discussing the consequences is is huge, but again, you you make a very good point. I used to work, uh, for 13 years I did counseling uh, around addictions with youth, and what I found was that, and and what they talk about in, in counseling, is if you go in and you kind of try and convince and you argue the positives, the young person will feel the need to argue the negatives or vice versa. Um, so, to go in and only take one side of things, I think, leaves uh, a vacuum that needs to be filled. And so, as a parent, if I go in and all I do is vilify the substances, the young person is going to feel potentially the need to bring up all the good things about drug use. So, I think to have a balanced conversation with a young person, it is important to acknowledge that there must be some good things about drugs or people wouldn't use them. And so, to talk about what those good things are, you feel relaxed, it, you have fun, um, you feel like you're you know, in your peer group together enjoying this experience, whatever, but that there are always consequences and what those consequences could potentially be. And then that gives them the information they need to make that decision. And, and they're not going to argue because you're acknowledging that there there's both pros and cons.
0: And with a uh, substance like fentanyl, you don't have to go out of your way to show what the consequences can be.
1: I know that we've had a number of overdoses in Alberta and in Calgary this year related to fentanyl. And so again, when we talk about that opportunity to have those conversations using stories in the media, there's a lot of opportunity for parents to have that conversation with young people and talk about their thoughts. What do you think about this? You know, what are your feelings about all these people dying? Do you think they could have done something different and they wouldn't have died? You know, do you ever think about this when your friends talk about drug use, That's the it could be that serious
0: we've seen the deaths with fentanyl this year almost is this fair to say they kind of mirrored kind of the number of deaths that we were seeing a few years ago with ecstasy why are those drugs seemingly so much more dangerous
1: one thing I'd like to say is to start off is many people think the fentanyl being used by young people on the street is prescription fentanyl. It's actually a man-made drug. It is not prescription fentanyl. And ecstasy and crystal meth are also these man-made drugs that are made in in um, bathtubs and garages, in these you know clandestine labs in people's homes. There's no quality control. Nobody is there saying, oh yeah, that's a really good batch of fentanyl, you know, go for it. They're putting in whatever they have handy. And the problem with fentanyl is it's the difference of a grain of salt uh, between basically getting high and overdosing. The, and when they m- mix a batch of pills, for example, and they put the fentanyl in it, um, the, the chemicals that create fentanyl, They don't know how well it's mixed. They don't know how much is in each tablet. And to be honest, the people making it don't care. All they care about is is to make money to sell their product. Um, They don't care about public safety. They don't care about public welfare. So I think that man-made drugs, because there's no quality control, um, we don't necessarily know what else is going into it uh, as a binder, as a filler, um, other substances. They're not made for human consumption. They're toxic. And...
0: And sometimes th- another substance in fentanyl is heroin.
1: Oh, there's they they mix all sorts of things together. We also hear that fentanyl is being uh, put into uh, other drugs to give them more kick. So, you know, it it really becomes a matter of this isn't something that's made in a in a factory where there's uh, quality control and people supervising. Um, But again, with young people, the conversation would be, even if it is, even if it is a pharmaceutical drug, but it's not prescribed to you, or you're not using it as intended, uh, according to the instructions of the doctor, it can also be dangerous. But the man-made drugs are especially dangerous because even the person selling it wasn't necessarily the person who made it, and they have absolutely no idea what's in it, and Even if they did know what was in it, how well was it mixed and those sorts of things can impact what that one little pill sitting in front of you actually contains.
0: For a consumer, it's Russian roulette. It
1: is, to a degree. You're really taking a huge chance.
0: Yeah. If you're a parent and you more than suspect your child, you have good evidence that your child is abusing drugs, what are the first steps that that parent must take?
1: I think the important thing is, if you're seeing behavior changes in your child, every parent has a gut instinct about their child. If your instincts are telling you something is wrong, something is different, ask the question. Ask the child the question. Because even if it isn't substance use, if it's mental health issues, if they're being bullied, um, those sorts of things are equally important. And so to ask the question is vital. But if you strongly suspect it's substance use, the recommendation is to to ask the question to intervene as early as possible some parents will say oh they're just sowing their wild oats it's just being a teen like i went through those things too and i turned out just great um
0: different times though like that parent probably grew up in a time when you know they smoked pot and they say hey we're we ended up just fine
1: it, well and that's and part probably and,
0: still and they may still be smoking pot right and they
1: might um, but the the you raise a good point it is different times but also we know better now we know that even if your child should decide to smoke marijuana having those conversations is a good positive thing and they we should be having those conversations regardless but if it's starting to have major consequences in your child's life Um, we would suggest that you contact your local Addiction and Mental Health office and make an appointment and go in and talk to somebody and say, this is what's going on. And ideally, you'd want your child to come with you, but sometimes the young person will say, I don't have a problem, you have the problem. So then the parent should go and talk to somebody and say, what do we do? What are our next steps? And get some support and some ideas around how to handle this issue with their child. If the young person's willing to come in, maybe they only come once or twice maybe they get the support they need or some some encouragement some suggestions that help them to make some positive change and if that's not the case now they have access to resources that are available for youth treatment here in calgary zone for example we have You can come just for information. You can come for outpatient counseling. We have a detox stabilization program for youth. We have a a day treatment, intensive day treatment program, and we have residential options and that's all in the, in this area. And it's all free of charge to Albertans.
0: For listeners who don't live in the Calgary zone of Alberta health services, would they call HealthLink at 811 to find out what sort of uh, resources are available to them?
1: That's an excellent start. They call 811, they talk to their local addiction mental health office, find out what's available in in their area and start the process. Um, but to wait and see often is not a good choice because things can get worse um, while you're waiting to see if the young person's gonna straighten themselves out.
0: This is David Veach and you've been listening to Passion for Health, produced by Alberta Health Services. You can follow us at ahs.ca backslash podcasts to add your comments. We would love to hear from you.